Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. So good again to gather together with you all, and uh, again, welcome in Jesus' name. We, uh, some heroes we hear about, don't we? Uh, but there are others that we don't. And uh, Chris, do you have my PowerPoint up here? I had some pictures. Okay. <laughs> There's no pictures on the one I emailed? No? Oh man, that's going to be a bummer. Because <laughs> I like pictures. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll just uh, we'll go through it without it and, uh, and everything. I guess I'll just have to be creative in telling the story. Um, again, some heroes we, uh, we hear about, some heroes we don't. And for many years, one of the, the most unsung heroes from World War II was a, was a gentleman by the name of Desmond Doss. Uh, he served as a private in the 307th Infantry uh, Rifle Company as a combat medic. He was a conscientious objector to the war, and uh, for him, taking life was an abomination. He was a devout Seventh-day Adventist and, and saw in Scripture not to take a life, but he also very much so wanted to help his country and serve his, his nation. And so as a conscientious objector, he refused to carry a gun in battle, in training, ever. And of course, this angered his fellow soldiers. They, they beat him. They, they tried to get him court-martialed on a number of occasions, and they even threatened to shoot him in the back during battle. Doss served in, in combat on the islands of Guam, Litai, and then later Okinawa. And as it was written, in each military operation, he exhibited uh, extraordinary dedication to his fellow men. While others were taking life, he was busy saving life. When the cry of a medic rang out on the battlefield, he never considered his own safety. He ran repeatedly into the heat of battle, trying to treat a fallen comrade and carry him back to safety. And this obviously won the respect of his fellow soldiers, and they no longer threatened to court-martial him or shoot him in the back. And in early May of 1945, the American and Japanese troops were fighting over the island of Okinawa. And on May 4th, uh, the Americans captured a strategic hill called the Maeda Escarpment. And it's a, it's a huge rock face, basically straight up and down, uh, that soldiers had nicknamed Hacksaw Ridge. And uh, there's a great picture of, of Doss standing on top of the hill right after the, uh, right after the Americans took it. But the following day, uh, the Japanese overtook that hill, and we were forced to retreat. Unfortunately, less than one-third of the 307th made it back down the hill in their retreat. Many lay dead or wounded, but Private Doss did not retreat. He crawled around the top of Hacksaw Ridge 
for five hours, dragging wounded men to the edge of the cliff and letting them down by rope to waiting hands below. Uh, so five hours he did that. He single-handedly, he saved 75 men, bringing them back to safety. Um, his, his bravery won him uh, not only a promotion to corporal, but awarded him the nation's highest uh, award possible, the Medal of Honor. And for a while, uh, his story faded from memory and, and his deeds uh, became unsung until Mel Gibson's 2016 movie Hacksaw Ridge came out and the story and the deeds of Private Doss came back into our minds. Unsung and then a sung hero. This fall, we've been working our way through the book of Philippians together. Philippians is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. So far in the first few chapters of this book, Paul has rejoiced with the Philippian congregation because of their participation with him in the spread of the gospel. He's rejoiced even in his imprisonment for the gospel and displayed his confidence that in his life or by his death, Jesus will be glorified. So in, the next, or in chapter 2, Paul magnified Christ's example of humility and urged the Philippians to do the same. He called for them to work out their own salvation, for it's God who works in you, and urged them to live lives that are in step with the gospel. And in this next section of Philippians, a section that we're going to look at this morning, Paul turns the page and gets intensely personal with this congregation. And remember, Philippians is a, first and foremost a personal letter written to a, a very specific congregation for a very specific purpose. Paul wrote it sometime around the year 60 AD as he's in a Roman prison awaiting his trial before Caesar. And as he writes, Paul tells of his intention to send to, to the Philippians two of Paul's heroes. Uh, one of them was well known by all, including us today, and this hero had had his praises sung. The other was known only to Paul and to the Philippians as an, and is relatively unknown to us today. Nobody has sung his praises, nobody names their kid after him. But for Paul, this unsung hero was a vital member and a partner in the gospel, every bit as much as the heroes whose praises were sung. So first, let's look at this hero who had had his praises sung. His name was Timothy. I think we've heard of him before. Paul talks about him in these verses here in chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. We'll start at verse 19. It's on page 922 in the Pew Bible. And if you have that little Philippians book, I think it's on page 12 there. Uh, would you stand with me as I read God's word? Philippians 2, beginning at verse 19, reading in Jesus' name. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter to the church in Philippi. 
Thank you for what it has for us today as well. And we pray that you would be here this morning with us, leading and guiding us as we spend time in your word, as we look at these uh, two heroes of Paul, heroes of the faith, one who had his praises sung and one who did not have his praises sung. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Paul and Timothy, right? We're very familiar with Timothy, mostly because of he and, and, and Paul's background. They had a rich history together, didn't they? Uh, we have much of their background covered for us in Scripture. And for what I'm going to say in this next part, if you were in my Acts map class last year already, uh, you, some of this is going to be review. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is on his second uh, missionary journey, and he visits for the second time the cities of Lystra and Derby, which are in central Turkey. He had been there before, probably about four years earlier, and he wanted to check on the, on the progress of those churches and, and see how his friends were doing that he made on, on his earlier visits. And so he returns, and he meets a young disciple, a young believer named Timothy. Timothy was from a mixed marriage, meaning his father was Greek, who had worshipped the Greek gods, and his mother was a Jewish convert to Christianity. And Timothy's mother and grandmother had been instrumental in bringing Timothy up in the faith. And Timothy was, as we read in Acts 16, well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul was looking for more people to take with him, to accompany him on the, with the spread of the gospel, and Timothy was willing to go. So Timothy joined Paul and the rest as they traveled all throughout Asia and Europe, sharing the gospel. And one of the first cities that they visit, by the way, was the uh, city of Philippi. Um, Timothy would go on to accompany Paul through the rest of his second, third, and, and fourth missionary journeys. And during these mission trips and in the long time of traveling, Paul would have had ample time to disciple and to mentor young Timothy in the faith. He would have made sure that Timothy was able to teach and to preach, and more importantly, know personally for himself, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection for the world. Because without the gospel, what, without that good news, what purpose would there be in discipling Timothy? The message of the gospel is first and foremost on the heart and mind of Paul. He said, uh, as he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, I decided to know nothing among you, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was on the forefront of Paul's heart and mind. And for Paul, the gospel was not some sort of self-help, make you feel good about yourself teaching. First and foremost, the gospel is about God's love, God's love for a fallen, sinful humanity. The gospel is the true story, the truest good news about Jesus who is given to us by God to be the sacrifice for our sins. And as Christ hung on the cross, he gave his life, his perfect his sinless life for you. Jesus Christ died in your place and on your behalf and offers to you in his shed blood the forgiveness of all of your sins. And because of Jesus' death and his subsequent resurrection from the grave, from the dead, we can have life, eternal life. And this was the message of the gospel. This is what Paul wanted Timothy to know and to pass on. 
He would later reiterate this truth to Timothy and lay down a pattern for discipleship. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul wrote, What you have heard from me in the presence of many faithful witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you have heard from me, the gospel message, teach that to others who can then train and teach others in it. Paul is urging Timothy to pour into others as he himself has been poured into. And you know what? We all, we all need a Paul pouring into us, don't we? And a Timothy with whom we can mentor and disciple. For me, I've had many Pauls who have poured into my life, Sunday school teachers and youth leaders throughout my elementary, middle, and high school years, guys like uh, Bob Ritter and John Walker. Remember those guys, Sarah? Yeah, uh, Chad Jankard and Captain Kirk Flaw and many others, right? One of my more recent Pauls was an actual Paul, uh, Pastor Paul Nash. Right? After Bible college, I served on Barnabas teams under Papa's Paul's uh, leadership. And then I became a parish builder working with home missions, uh, working with Paul in church plants. In seminary, I worked side by side with Paul in the home missions office. And finally, we lived in Arizona for a few years planting a church. Paul was always willing to disciple, to train, and to teach. And I'm forever indebted to, to him and to others. And throughout the years, I've also had the opportunity not only to be discipled, but also to disciple others, right? And we need both, don't we? We need somebody investing into us, and we also need to turn around and share that and invest in the lives of others. Paul did that for Timothy, and very soon Timothy would have the opportunity to do that for others as well. At some point in time, we're not exactly sure when, but probably after Paul's release from jail and after this letter to the Philippians was written, Paul sent Timothy to pastor the church in Ephesus. And Timothy faithfully served that congregation for a number of years. And it was during Timothy's time in Ephesus that Paul would write the two letters to Timothy that we have in our Bibles, 1st and 2nd Timothy. But those events and those letters were still in the future for both Paul and Timothy. And as Paul sits in a Roman prison awaiting his trial, confident of his eventual release from jail, he has other hopes for Timothy. Look again at verse 19. Paul writes, For I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon, so that I might be cheered by news of you. And then jump down to verses 23 and 24, and he says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul's plan for Timothy was to send him on to Philippi. There, Timothy would be his personal representative, telling the congregation how Paul was doing, the results of his case, and most likely serving as their pastor for a short time. But in verse 23, Paul told the Philippians that Timothy would only come after the results of, of Paul's trial were finalized. Paul needed Timothy in, in the here and the now and in the meantime. And Paul had hope, had desire for, for Timothy's future with the Philippians, and he also had praise for Timothy. He had praise for Timothy. Listen again to these praises that Paul sings for Timothy in verses 20 through 22. He says, For I have no one like him, 
No one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I have no one like him, Paul says. No one like him. That's high praise from Paul. But Paul also praised Timothy for the, for the genuineness and for the empathy, the sympathy that he displayed. As he pastored churches and individuals, Timothy didn't pay just mere lip service to their struggles and trials. He, he genuinely rejoiced with those who rejoiced and wept with those who wept. And there's a final word of praise that Paul sings about Timothy. He's proven his worth as a disciple. He's proven his worth as as a disciple. Timothy has been through hardship after trial after struggle with Paul. And Timothy has come through it all with flying colors. As a son with a father, Timothy had proven his worth time and time again to Paul. As a son with a father. Usually in, in ancient times, as you, as you looked at your life and your career path that you would pursue, you would follow in the footsteps of your father. If your father worked in the mill, you would probably also become a miller. If your dad was a merchant, you'd become a merchant. If your dad was a carpenter, you would pick up that trade as well. There weren't many vocational schools or universities that existed that allow you pick, allowed you to pick any career in any field that you chose like students today are presented with, right? Businesses were usually kept in the family. Not to say that you couldn't or wouldn't do a different vocation from your father's line of work, but the norm was that you would follow in your father's footsteps. And I think that's what Paul is alluding to there in verse 22. As a son with a father, Timothy learned how to be an evangelist and a teacher from Paul. They worked side by side, shoulder to shoulder, sharing the gospel, starting churches, ministering to those who were hurting. And now Timothy was ready, Paul believed, to be loosed on the world, to go on his own preaching and ministering to a congregation. But only after Paul's trial was concluded, right? Until then, he needed Timothy. And as we read earlier in Philippians, Paul believed that he soon would be released from jail was only a matter of time, but then he hoped to send Timothy on to the Philippians. Timothy, this man Paul had sung his praises for. And next we come to an unsung hero of Paul's time in prison. Unsung hero. His name was Epaphroditus. And Paul talks about him in the next section here, verses 25 through 30. Look at these as I, as I read these as well. He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has become distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more the eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We have a really rich history of Paul and Timothy and their background together, but Epaphroditus' introduction 
or in our interaction with Paul, I'm sorry, we only have these verses here in chapter 2 and then one verse in chapter 4, this verse 418 that we'll talk about when we get there, right? Nothing more in Scripture is known of this man. His name means lovely or handsome. And some scholars have seen a connection between the name Epaphroditus and the Greek goddess Aphrodite. And it's possible that Epaphroditus' family had been worshippers of the goddess before his conversion to Christianity. But we do know that this man was entrusted by the church in Philippi with some very important duties, and we'll get to those in just a moment. But listen to how Paul talks about him in verse 25. Paul said that Epaphroditus was his brother, his fellow worker, and his fellow soldier. First and foremost, Epaphroditus was Paul's brother. He was a fellow Christian baptized into the family of God who had been bought and purchased with the blood of Christ. And Paul viewed Epaphrodites as as a member of the same spiritual family as he was, with the same Lord and Father of all. In Christ, Paul would write to the to the church in Ephesus, there is no distinction. In Christ, we are all one family. Not only was Epaphroditus Paul's brother, but he was also his fellow worker. They were co-workers working side by side for the sake of the gospel. And, and more than just being employed by the same boss by happenstance, these two were, were willingly and joyfully united right, in a common purpose, in a common labor, in a common theme. They strove for the same thing, Paul says. They worked for the same outcome. They were fellow workers. But then Epaphroditus also said that Paul was uh, one of his, or I'm sorry, the other way around. Paul says that Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier, right? More than just working together, these two men fought together, fighting the same spiritual enemy in the same trenches, right? If you ask any soldier, marine, sailor, or airman, the greatest friendships are, are formed in the most adverse of circumstances, right? And when the going gets tough, you can count on each other to get your back. And that's the relationship that Paul had with Epaphroditus, brothers in the faith, co-workers in the gospel, uh, platoon mates engaged in spiritual warfare. All this to say, Paul viewed Epaphroditus not as someone lesser, someone whose work didn't quite match he and Timothy. No, Paul viewed Epaphroditus as an equal and stood shoulder to shoulder with him in the work. Brothers, co-workers, platoon mates for the gospel. And Epaphroditus was something special to the Philippians too. Paul says in, in verse 25, he is your messenger and minister to my needs. Epaphroditus served as a messenger and deliverer of the Philippians' gifts to Paul. In, uh, in chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you had sent. Right? In Paul's day, uh, there was obviously no FedEx with delivery tracking for packages, right? You, you couldn't simply Venmo money to somebody across the country, across the world. If you wanted to get something to somebody, you better deliver it yourself or have somebody that you really trusted do it on your behalf. And in the person of Epaphroditus, the Philippians uh, had that someone whom they trusted to send their gifts of money and provisions with Paul. He was their messenger. He was also a minister to Paul's needs on their behalf while he was in jail. 
end of, the end of the book of Acts tells us a little bit about what that imprisonment was like for Paul. The last two verses of Acts 28 say this, And Paul stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching and teaching and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. For Paul, this particular imprisonment wasn't exactly a cushy, white-collar penitentiary, but at the same time, it wasn't a dark, dank, overcrowded hole in the ground either. He was most likely under strict house arrest, chained 24-7, 365 to a Roman soldier. He was responsible for his own housing, his own food, his own lodging, and things like the, the Philippians' monetary gifts would have covered. If he needed anything from the store or from the market, he would have somebody go and get it for him. If Paul needed a letter written, he probably had to have somebody help in that too. And that's probably where Epaphroditus comes in as a minister to Paul's needs. Paul doesn't go into detail as to what Epaphroditus did on a day-in, day-out basis, but he obviously became very valuable to Paul during his imprisonment in Rome. And for all that he did, Epaphroditus became Paul's unsung hero. But yet, once Paul tells the Philippians, Epaphroditus became ill, ill to the point of death. And again, details are scarce and we shouldn't speculate. But what we do know is that it nearly cost him his life. And word of this illness had, through the grapevine, reached the ears of those in Philippi and they became worried about him. And that made Epaphroditus, who had gotten better, worried and anxious as well because they had apparently only heard of him being sick and not of his recovery. Paul wrote, He has been longing for you and has been distressed because he heard that, because you heard that he was ill. So Paul has plans right, to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi and urges them to receive him as the unsung hero that he is. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor. Such men, Paul instructs him in verse 28. And there's an interesting phrase at the end of verse 30. Um, Paul writes, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. To complete what was lacking in your service to me. It's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? And if we, if we read it wrong, it, it almost sounds like a, a subtle rebuke of the Philippians. Yeah, you've done a lot, but you could have done more. I don't think that's what Paul was think This was his, his passive-aggressive way of bringing up a situation. Paul wasn't that Minnesotan. If Paul would have said something, wanted to say something, he would have said it. The reality is that there was something lacking in the service of the Philippians. What was it? What was lacking? They had sent a gift, they had, but not only that, they had sent someone to minister to Paul's needs. The only thing that was really lacking in the service to the Philippians was their personal presence. They were not there physically for Paul. Epaphroditus filled that role on their behalf. And I think there's an application here for us. Often when we hear that somebody is going through a hard time, like uh, an illness or the loss of a loved one, we're, uh, we're quick to send on our, our thoughts and our prayers, right? Sending thoughts and prayers your way. Uh, it's easy to text. It's easy to post to Facebook. So, so the whole world and so they see it, right? But we actually don't do 
anything for them, right? And yes, we pray, and that is of supreme importance. I'm no way trying to minimize prayer or the, the importance of the power of prayer. Yes, please pray. But in a sense, thoughts and prayers can only go so far, can't they? In the book of James, we read, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and, 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 one, of them, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warm and filled, without giving them the things for the body, what good is that? Right? What good is it wishing others well when we do nothing to help them? And sometimes all that's needed, sometimes all that's needed is a ministry of presence, right? Just being there for them without trying to fix things. Just be there, be present, right? Sit with somebody in their loss, in their grief, and in their pain. And allow me to share a, a personal story related to this. In, in Liz and I's first months of marriage, we found ourselves on a, on a Friday night in the emergency room. Uh, Liz had had a bad stomach ache for a few days, and uh, as it would turn out, she, she had what amounted to a, an appendicitis of the small intestine that ruptured her burst, and the, the doctors decided that that surgery could not wait until Saturday. And so uh, around midnight on Friday night, they began to prep her for surgery. And as I'm in the, in the waiting room, who shows up but Pastor Paul Nash? <laughs> And he sat with me there for that hour, hour and a half, however long the surgery took, and was just there. I was working with him in the home missions office at that time, and we didn't talk about work or about ministry or anything like that. He was just there, being present as I sat while Liz is, is in surgery. And that was a huge comfort. Thoughts and prayers? Absolutely. Send those on. Pray. But being present, lending a helping hand, that's simply heroic. Epaphroditus was, was simply present for Paul, serving as he could. And for Paul, for Paul, those small, simple acts were heroic, and his, his, his deeds deserve to be sung. One more story as I close about heroes, sung and unsung. Uh, in May of, of 1953, Edmund Hillary, uh, he became the first person to success, successfully summit Mount Everest, right? As a New Zealand Air Force navigator, he had the opportunity to begin to mountaineer and to summit peaks. And in 1952-53, he joined the British expedition to Everest. He was one of 400 people involved in this expedition and was quickly tapped to be on one of those summit teams. Other groups had gotten close within like 300 vertical feet but had to turn back because of equipment failure. And Hillary was given a shot and and to quickly summarize a grand accomplishment, he climbed Mount Everest. For his efforts, Sir Ed Edmund Hillary became knighted, Sir Edmund Hillary, and along with the man who organized the expedition, a colonel by the name of John Hunt. The world quickly knew Hillary's name. His face was broadcast around the world and, and would uh, soon grace even the front of, of, of currency in New Zealand, money in New Zealand. He was a, a hero that people sung their praises of. But Hillary would not have made it far without some help, specifically one individual in particular. Tenzing Norgay was a Sherpa living in uh, that area of Nepal of Tibet. And like many Sherpas, he made a career of mountaineering and was Hillary's climbing partner for Everest, encouraging Hillary, pointing out the paths, making suggestions, holding the ropes for him. 
When Hillary summited Everest, Tenzing was right there behind him. But for all of his efforts, Tenzing was never knighted like Hillary or like Hunt. He was simply given an honorary medal. An honorary medal. Uh, but wisely, Hillary op or openly sung the praises of this unsung hero. Even Colonel Hunt, who organized the expedition, said they did it together, they were a team. But if ever there was an unsung hero, it was Tenzing. Behind or beside every hero, there's usually an unsung hero doing the work in the background to make the expedition or the ministry or the mission a success. The early Christian church had heroes too, both sung and unsung, and they were all vital to the work of the gospel. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for heroes of the faith, heroes we've heard of before, heroes we haven't heard of before. Thank you for their ministry and their mission over, uh, over the years, and thank you that we can study them today. Lord, and we do pray that you would uh, be with us in our various vocations, our callings, Lord, and maybe we don't get the, the praise of a Timothy, but we do the work of, of an Epaphroditus. Help us to be content with that. Help us to live in that, Lord. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus, our Redeemer, who gave his life for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.